This is a podcast about new crops. You're going to love it. Join us on The Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of new crops for Wisconsin. We would like to welcome you to The Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of new crops for Wisconsin. I am your co-host, Ashley Olson. I am with the University of Wisconsin-Madison Division of Extension in Vernon County. And joining me as my co-host today is Elena Voss. She is the UW Division of Extension Agriculture Educator in Juneau and Sauk Counties. So Elena, uh, today a podcast talking about cut flowers. It's minus 10 outside. How, how nice to talk about something spring, bring some hope here, right? I know. I'm, I'm looking forward to those spring colors. I know when we're looking at the house uh, situation for ourselves, uh, my fiance and I were really looking forward to planting those flowers and getting them started for our future home. So yeah, I'm excited to hear and learn more about these cut flowers and what, you know, what's going on with that. Um, today we have with us um, Heidi as well as Tiffany and so if either of you who'd ever like to go introduce yourself and give us a brief background. Well I can start. My name is Heidi Hensel Buntrock and I am the 4-H coordinator in Washer County so you may ask well what does 4-H and cut flowers have to do? Well, I have a side business that I, it's very, I guess, started as a hobby that's uh, gotten out of hand. Uh, side business called Willow Creek Farm and Gardens, which was started 10 years ago. And we had purchased a nursery, really had no idea what we were going to do with it. And one thing led to another. We got into irises, peonies, and growing cut flowers. So while I do not necessarily do like a subscription-based cut flowers, I more grow the cut flowers for flower arranging and weddings and different things like that. I also do have people who come and buy cut flowers, but that's not my main focus. My main focus is I grow it to uh, sell it just to um, people who come to my business. I'm open on weekends and then also more for weddings, events, uh, floral arrangements. All right, thank you, Heidi. And Tiffany, how about yourself? So my name is Tiffany Cade. I own Deep Rooted. Um, we are a 20-acre certified organic farm. Um, we have a spring garden center um, and then also a greenhouse operation where we specialize in organic tomatoes. The cut flowers kind of started as like more of like a passion project. It was like my way to kind of unwind at the end of the day. Um, you know, walking past the fields, I would grow like zinnias and different things and just trim little bouquets to take home or send to my family. Um, and then it was um, probably about three years ago, my future sister-in-law was getting married and it was the night before her wedding. And she had all these buckets of flowers in her basement and she was like, so about my bouquet and essentially expected us to just like whip something out. Um, we did manage, they turned out gorgeous. 
but it was kind of a nice way just to be thrown into it. Um, so that next year, I really kind of ramped up um, and started seeding a bunch of different varieties of flowers that I typically wasn't in that familiar with. Um, so each year we kind of keep growing new things. Um, this year I've got a whole list of different varieties that I've never grown before. So I'm super excited to start those. Really get us, dive us deep here into how you, how you determine what flowers you're growing, how are you growing them, when are you growing them? So uh, what I do is typically uh, with my annuals, I know what weddings I have this year. So uh, last year I did, uh, in September, the beginning of September, I had a wedding that was all sunflowers. And they did, uh, I was able to fill in with some other flowers that would complement sunflowers. So mostly like, as you mentioned, Tiffany, the zinnias, yellow zinnias. So what I do is I start, I make a list of what I need, what I'm thinking. And of course, uh, when you're doing a wedding, you're shooting for a certain date, the beginning of September, you, you never know. Uh, is sunflowers, okay, the, the packet of seeds says 60 days. Well, is that 60 days? It, it's typically an ideal growing situation, but last year we had a hot summer. So of course, a lot of my, um, what I was planning for the beginning of September, they were ready mid-August. So what I do is uh, sub subsequent planting. So I don't just go out on May 15th and plant all my seeds. I do uh, multiple plantings, especially on sunflowers where you've kind of got that one, uh, you're going to get a one pop shot of the, the bloom. And now azinia, on the other hand, you plant those seeds probably mid-July, they should start um, blooming. And if you keep cutting them back, and what does that mean? You have to deadhead, go out and cut anything that's past prime, and then the plant will send up new shoots. And that they will continue blooming up until frost. So I uh, look through seed catalogs and really make out a list of what I want to grow. And then uh, with my space that I've allocated for uh, the annuals, I go out, I make a diagram of what I'm going to grow. Now my perennials, I grow irises, which are not necessarily a good cut flower, but I do grow um, peonies and other um, perennials. Peonies, uh, peony weddings in June are very popular. And of course, if someone wants to get married in September and have a peony wedding, that's not an option. Um, peonies, you are able to cut um, those in a tight bud stage and wrap them and keep them in the refrigerator. What I do is, I, I, if you cut them in a very tight bud stage before they start to bloom, you can put them in some water in a refrigerator, cover them up, cover them up with a plastic bag and they will, uh, last probably until a, a good month, so probably through July. But of course, uh, you, you've got some, <laughs> there, there's some risk factor in that. So uh, what I really recommend to people is if you're looking for peonies, you've really got to shoot for that July time frame. Thanks. Yeah, I totally agree with Heidi. Um, it starts, you know, with all the seed catalogs coming in and it is a very, very dangerous time. Um, I go through probably like four pads of sticky notes of just like <laughs> flagging uh, different pages and varieties that I find interesting. Um, so one of the interesting catalogs that I get um, an order from is GeoSeed. And that has been, it's 
been really helpful because it's all the varieties are listed in Latin names and there are no photos. So it's a lot of time on Google searching. Uh, so that's kind of one way I've found to find some more like interesting varieties, different colors, uh, things like that. So a lot of it has been just like trial and error. Um, and I a lot of that too. It's kind of that hit and miss. Oh my gosh, this took forever. And, and then all of a sudden you see a description and you think, oh my gosh, I have to have this and you grow it. And it's like, seriously, what were they thinking <laughs> at least? But, but that's the other thing, just because something grows well in my garden and my soil, I'm in a very sandy soil area and sandy soil, you can grow anything, but it requires water. So in the July, when we're in that three and four week drought, I'm having to water every day. Now people uh, that live, oh, probably on the uh, eastern end of Washera County is big heavy soil. There the commercial growers do not even have uh, irrigation. So it, 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 a lot of it also is your soil, can, your soil. And I don't know what kind of soil do you have, Tiffany? We have a heavier clay on our farm. Okay, yeah, heavier clay, which would which yeah. would be what was in um, Eastern Washera County, but I'm in Central Washera County and it is total sand. <laughs> yeah, most years we don't have to worry too much about irrigation. You know, just when we're um, transplanting and things like that, we make sure that we're doing it at an appropriate time where we see rain in the forecast, or I do have a way to get um, some sprinklers and stuff out there. But we start um, the majority of our seeds um, here at the farm. I do order in some plugs um, for varieties that are a little bit harder to start, um, like Lysianthus, the eucalyptus that just take a little bit longer. Um, one of my first years I started Lysianthus from seed. I started them in February thinking like, okay, awesome. I'm going to have plenty of time. These seeds weren't ready to plant until like August, <laughs> which Luckily, I did order some plugs, so I was already harvesting from those. But yeah, it is really just a lot of trial and error. And each year, you know, I keep a big notebook of notes of when I'm planting things, when I start harvesting, how long I'm harvesting. Um, so it's, you know. It, it probably, why don't you share with the group what is a plug? Because not everyone may know what is a plug. Yep. Um, so... Plugs, you typically um, will be started from like a commercial grower. There's um, a lot of growers out on the West Coast, California, um, that will start seeds and then you essentially buy like the baby plant from them. Um, I got introduced to the plugs because of our garden center in the spring. So a lot of the, um, you know, petunias, callies, verbenas, things like that. Um, all have patents on them. So if you're wanting like those specific like proven winners varieties, um, you can actually just start those from seeds. Those are all tissue cultures. So you buy in these baby plants. So it's kind of like a little jump start um, to the seed starting. But you know, I do enjoy the seed starting process, growing everything from seed um, to flower. It just fun to watch the progress of everything, but there is a lot of starting vegetable seeds because we're primarily a vegetable farm versus starting flower seeds is 
two totally different beasts. <laughs> um, a lot of the flowers are much longer to germinate. And then you also need to do like succession planting. Um, so you're getting different harvest times throughout the season. So snapdragons, um, zinnias, um, delphinium stock, we start all of those in succession. So we'll do usually two weeks apart. So we'll start some, and then two weeks later, we'll start another round of those. So we have a continuous supply of harvestable stems. Okay. Uh, now it's interesting you say you do zinnias in succession. I've never found that. I've found we do one planting and if we do the deadheading, we have that continued su ample supply of the zinnias throughout the season. Yeah, we can um, continually harvest from some of the varieties, but the flowers has, um, like our flower business has been more of um, like my passion project. So I'm not always out there to deadhead or things like that. Um, so we are actually looking to have um, like a U-cut day this oh. summer to kind of help me with the deadheading and keeping things, you know, trimmed down. Neat. That's a neat idea, especially. That's a neat out. idea. Yeah. Help. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, so you kind of hinted at it, but can you kind of give us a calendar view of, you know, how you get started and how your growing season goes, you know? Am I starting in May? Am I starting in March? You know, some of those different parts. Yeah, so um, we have a greenhouse. Um, we have four greenhouses, but one is primarily for like all of our seeds starting and then our flower production. So I'm starting. So I just want to jump in. What percentage is flowers versus your vegetables? Because I know you mentioned you were predominantly vegetables. Yeah, so the flowers um, is really a new section of our business, probably in the last like two years. Um, I have like a quarter of an acre. And then I do have um, a high tunnel that we grow in. And then this year we're going to be putting up a couple caterpillar tunnels um, just to kind of help with that season extension. Uh, because we do have a cut flower subscription um, in the spring. So we grow around 5,000 um, tulip and daffodil bulbs. And so those are all in the high tunnel. So those will be blooming a little bit earlier, probably two to three weeks earlier than um, what would be blooming outside. Okay. Um, so the flowers is really a small section of our business, but it's becoming more popular. And I mean, especially with COVID and 2020, um, a lot of people were wanting fresh flowers. 5,000 sounds like to me. <laughs> do you even take the bulbs up each fall and replant them or do you leave them in the tunnels? I will pull them up. So for example, with tulips, um, when I harvest it, I will actually just pull, um, I'll grab at the base of the plant and then just pull the bulb up with it. Um, from the research and different classes I've taken with other um, flower growers, there's a big um, chance with like disease and things with tulips. So they recommend to um, pull up the bulb. And then when I store them in the cooler, I will store them um, kind of how you're talking about with the peonies. I will leave the bulb on and then just like wrap them up really tight in some craft paper 
and they'll last for weeks in there. Um, and then when I'm ready to use the tulips, I'll cut the bulb off and then hydrate them, stick them in some water, allow them to hydrate, and then they're set and ready to go. I do um, take the bulbs and plant them outside. We've had, you know, some that have come up, some that haven't, but I figure it's better than composting them. <laughs> so then you buy new bulbs to plant for in the fall for next year's uh, fresh tulip harvest. Yes, correct. Yep. Okay. And Heidi, how about you for a calendar year? What are you kind of looking at? Well, I, I what I do is right now I'm looking at the seeds. I do not have any greenhouses. I direct seed everything. So typically that May 15th to Memorial Day. So in that maybe 10 day time frame is when I'll direct seed my zinnias, my sunflowers. But then again, I'm talking that secession. So some of the flowers uh, like your snapdragons, I will be um, planting later into June. And, and some of the um, flowers like a snapdragon, I might also be buying plants from a nursery. Uh, some of those that take a little longer, but that's all part of that research, the trial and error. Zinnias grow very easy, um, direct seeded into the ground, so, so do sunflowers. Marigolds do, it's just they take a little longer to get growing. So if I know I want some marigolds early on, I might buy some plants uh, verse, and then also do some um, direct seeding. So basically uh, about mid-May is, and you wanna make sure that the um, frost is passed. And I think like for our area, the last frost date is around like the 10th, 11th, or 12th of May. So anytime after that, I would be direct seeding. And then of course, fr uh, your frost is typically around October 1st. So then it's, it's a very sad day when the season ends. So I do, do not do anything with the um, greenhouses or the hoops. Okay, yeah, interesting. We start all of our seeds um, indoors. The only thing I'm really direct seeding um, is sunflowers. And a lot of that has to do with our soil type. Um, just being a heavy clay soil, they're not going to germinate well. Um, and then I also feel like it gives us kind of a little bit of a jump start, um, you know, in the season. So I'm able to start planting um, in our high tunnel. I'll be planting snapdragons and like sweet peas, probably like end of March, beginning of April. And that's an unheated high tunnel. So you'd be surprised actually that a lot of like the stock, the snapdragons, um, the sweet peas, they will, you know, take a little bit of cold weather. I was harvesting um, snapdragons this fall um, and it was getting down to like, you know, mid thirties in our high tunnel and they were still growing. Wow. And such a neat opportunity to hear two perspectives for individuals that are interested in you know, potentially growing cut flowers, you know, you get to hear the differences of, you know, working with, you know, no nurseries, no greenhouses, no high tunnels, and then being able to hear that too. So we really appreciate being able to hear both of your perspectives on this um, opportunity. So, okay, we're getting through the planting season, then what, you know, are you watering every day? Are you weeding? You know, how are you working through some of those activities that, you know, we all love to do in the 
heat of summer. And we've heard that we've heard the term deadheading a lot too. So yep. when when does that start? Well, typically what I do is when I start the planting, you then I wait for everything to germinate. And germination means once it starts growing. Uh, zinnias are typically quicker, the four to five days. And that's where something like that works very well for direct seeding in the ground. Also, sunflowers are about the seven days. Some of those other plants like the snapdragons may be a little harder. So that's where I'm buying the plants. They may take like a 21 day. Well, is sometimes between the planting and the 21 days, your weeds start to take over. But what I do is once my uh, plants have started to grow, I put on a pre-emergence, uh, which will help with the weeds. But it is uh, weeding probably after two or three weeks down the rows. Uh, also, um, side dressing with fertilizer. I use just a generic, a basic uh, triple 12, 12, 12, 12 fertilizer. Um, to give it that extra oomph. I'm in that sand. Um, sand, it, there, there are no nutrients in the ground. I've got to um, put something in there to help them along. And uh, pretty much, uh, the unless we're in a drought, the May-June probably does not require watering, although because like I say with that sand, after three or four days, if it have, has not rained, I need to get water on those plants. And I do have underground irrigation to all my beds. So um, that does help uh, the, the watering process. And then once July comes along and the plants get bigger, the weeds tend to not grow. Plus I have used that pre-emergence. So um, don't need to go in and weed between the rows. Uh, but then it, when we're in that, those drought times, it's watering every other day to keep those plants alive. And once the um, plant has bloomed, like a zinnia, once it's bloomed and it starts to fade, then that means that when I say um, the deadheading, that's what deadheading is. Once that flower has started to fade, it's not in its prime, then you wanna um, cut it so the plant will continue to um, grow and send off um, new shoots and new buds. <laughs> How about you, Tiffany? You said that you're organic um, too, right? Yep, yep, we're certified. Um, I do not certify the cut flowers, um, obviously because you're not eating them, uh, but we do grow everything on our farm organically. So as far as um, in the spring, we will start everything in the greenhouse and then we actually plant into like a landscape fabric. And so essentially that's just um, a fabric. A lot of people use it in like their garden beds to kind of help um, with the weeds coming up. So we have um, a four foot landscape fabric that has holes burnt into it. And so we're actually just planting the plugs right into the fabric, which kind of helps, again, give it a little bit of a jump start. Um, so then it's like not as many weeds are coming up. Um, we do have to weed quite a bit um, in between our rows. Uh, going back, I think if I were to set up my flower field a little bit different, I would have paths um, that I would like mow, like keep it with grass or something so that I was able to mow it. Um, right now we just use like a hula hoe um, to go through and weed all of the rows. This year I am gonna trial um, doing, putting down some leaf mulch um, in the rows to kind of help combat those weeds. But yeah, 
the biggest thing is right away when the plants are young to make sure you're getting all those weeds. And then once the flowers are established enough, they're likely shattered, um, creating enough of a shade where the weeds aren't germinating as much, but it's an ongoing thing. <laughs> so besides weed pressure, which we're hearing a little bit about and the great uh, weather we have in Wisconsin, it changes every day. What are some other challenges that you have growing the flowers? I mean, insects do, what if we get a hailstorm, things like that? Yeah, so we're up on a ridge. Um, so it gets really, really windy up here. So the wind is one thing that we will struggle with a little bit in the spring. Um, we'll have like plants that'll get knocked over, you know, during, you know, a storm or anything like that. But I try to stake um, and provide support for some of the varieties that are a little more prone to that. Um, but as far as disease, we don't really have too much, um, unless it's a really wet season, we might run into some botrytis. Um, but other than that, you know, it's actually, we have more beneficial insects in our flower field. So we're seeing, you know, a lot of, um, you know, butterflies, bees, green lacewings. Um, so that was also another part being that our farm is certified organic is kind of helping introduce and create a habitat for those beneficial insects. I would say for us, it would be the wind. We do tend to, if we get a bad storm, it may sort of knock a bloom off, but a lot of your annuals are, are gonna regenerate those blooms. So, but you do, it's, it's like any type of agriculture, uh, hail, wind, you just never know what to expect. And it's, it's a chance you have to take. You know, we've kind of covered it all, but uh, you both have stated how you have very different soil types. Do you do soil testing and, you know, putting some fertilizers on to help make sure you're getting those nutrients in? Or, you know, what are you kind of doing for that aspect of it? Every couple of years, I do a multiple soil testings from the different gardens that I do have and then amend the soil as, as needed. But we also, in the fall, um, put the leaves in uh, and... Um, um, like till those in and pine needles. So, but definitely, yes, do, I would recommend a soil testing so you do know what you have and how you'd have to amend the soil. Yeah, I agree. Um, soil testing is really important. Um, one thing I've found to be helpful is making sure that you're taking the soil test the same time of the year when you take your soil test. So then you have a really good comparison. So if you're taking a soil test, you know, the spring of one year and then the fall of the following year, you know, it's hard to kind of look back at that data because they're at two different points in the season. Um, but we use um, a compost. So I will put fresh compost down on all of our fields. Um, we do a light tilling of the fields, but however, I'm trying to move more into the no-till um, just to kind of help with our soil health. Um, so that's something new that we're trying to work on. So one thing I'll do to kind of help prep my seed bed is like if I'm direct seeding, say sunflowers, is I'll actually put a um, tarp over my row. So I'll just go and get, you know, we live in Vernon County, so there's plenty of dairy farms in this area. 
So I'll go and get um, the old silage tarps that people have, and then I'll just cut it into my strips of 100 feet. You know, I like to keep my rows pretty consistent. So I'll just cut a strip of that, and then I'll leave it on there for a couple weeks. So it essentially just stops the weeds from germinating. So then that gives me a really nice, like, fresh seed bed to kind of seed into. Yep, letting that sun do the work for you, mm -hmm. in a sense. That's great. Um, to hear and really great that you're both, you know, able to talk about how you do that soil testing to help with that. And again, like Ashley and I, we can offer those opportunities in our extension offices. So feel, always feel free to reach out to your local extension offices. Yeah, the extension office um, in Vernon County. And then I've also worked with the one in Monroe County because uh, we're kind of right on the border with our farm, but they've been incredibly helpful. Um, I don't know that I've used them so much for our flower production, but also with like the tomatoes, like I can just, you know, snap a picture of something and send it off to my agent and being like, what is this? You know, especially right away when we were just getting started, I was so fresh. I had no idea. So it was really nice to have that guidance. <laughs> I would like to say that uh, when there's been calls to come out that way, I mean, who doesn't want to come out to Tiffany's greenhouse and get to want to just be out there and eat tomatoes and the other uh, fresh vegetables and different greens that you package. I mean, oh, it's just, it's a nice uh, breath of fresh air to come out and, and see what you have going on there. Uh, once again, just we are listening and to the Cutting Edge podcast in search of new crops for Wisconsin. We have our guests Heidi and Tiffany with us today discussing their cut flower agriculture operations as we keep talking further into this. Um, we've talked a lot about our, how we grow them, our soils, fertilizers. Maybe we can move a little bit over to some of the marketing and, and how we, you market your cut flower subscriptions or your, your um, centerpieces and bouquets, Heidi, in your case. Well, I am, I do a lot on Facebook, promote on Facebook. It, it's free advertising, but I am more word of mouth. And if I really, really wanted to be busy every weekend and do a wedding every weekend, I would attend the bridal fairs and that. But I, I have a full-time job, so I do need to pick and choose. And weddings are very time-consuming. But I would say if you want to, uh, Facebook advertising, uh, also um, going local to um, different groups and promoting your businesses uh, with your local chamber of commerces, uh, maybe speaking to your local Rotary, Kiwanis. The other thing is I have actually, um, when uh, flowers are in bloom and I've got way too many, I will take some, drop them off at a restaurant. They in turn then have said, oh, hey, I didn't know you did this. Could I get some next weekend for something I have going on? So that's also, who, who doesn't like um, to get a surprise bouquet of flowers? So uh, that's another um, good way to promote your business. But 
I'm not aggressive, very aggressive with my marketing uh, in that I have more, I, I'm very, I, I pick and choose what I do. It's, it's not my full-time business. And I do not do the flower subscriptions. I have uh, a list of people that come out weekly to get cut flowers, but again, it's not through a subscription base. Okay, thank you. And how about you, Tiffany? Yeah, I mean, I agree totally with Heidi. Um, social media has been huge. And I mean, flowers kind of speak for themselves or sell themselves, like they're so beautiful. Um, we also have um, a website. And then, yeah, I mean, social media and word of mouth, like those have been probably like our two main um, avenues of, you know, getting the word out about our cut flower subscription. So a cut flower subscription, um, it's like a CSA, which most people are familiar with, but it's community supported agriculture. So the cut flower subscription is like that in the sense that you're buying a share into our farm at the beginning of the season to kind of help us with those upfront costs of, you know, the tulip bulbs and all the seeds and just the soil and things that we use at the beginning of the season. Um, and then in return, you're getting a cut flower bouquet. Um, I have multiple different options. I do a spring share, which is four weeks. And so that's going to be a mixture of, um, you know, my early season stuff, the tulips, daffodils, um, ranunculus, anemones. Ranunculus is actually probably one of my new favorite flowers. So that's been really fun um, to kind of expand on. I have a couple hundred more that I'm going to be doing this year. But then I also do um, a five-week, a 10-week, and then a full season share, which is 18 weeks of fresh cut flowers. So um, prior to COVID, we did, we had pickup locations. So deliver all the bouquets to one place, and then you would go to that coffee shop or, you know, grocery store and pick them up. Um, but with COVID, we did have to adjust that a little bit. We did a lot of on-farm pickups, and then I also offered local delivery, which I think people really appreciated. So I will continue to offer that um, this year. We do dabble a little bit um, with weddings, but I am pretty choosy about that just because my thing with cut flowers is I really don't want to be ordering in flowers. I want to grow everything. I want it to be local. I want it to be seasonal, you know, kind of going back to where Heidi was saying, if a bride wants peonies in September, like that's just not really, that's not my jam. You know, there's other local florists that, you know, can order things in, um, you know, in the slow flower, like local flower movement has been really, really taking off. And so that's really just raising awareness to, you know, like food, these flowers are cut premature, they're shipped in, they have been gassed, they have nasty chemicals on them. So, I mean, it kind of just defeats the purpose of having a fresh flower bouquet. You know, you want to be able to smell it and know that you're not actually like inhaling all these chemicals. So, yeah, I'm a huge um, advocate for slow flowers, local flowers. So I try to just use things that, um, that we grow here on the farm. <laughs> That's awesome. 
And with, you know, starting your businesses again, you both sound like it kind of started as hobbies with the flowers and kind of turned into more. Um, but for other individuals that might be interested in this, is this a good market potential? I mean, for, you know, doing a flower cut subscription or selling for centerpieces, you know, do you have so many people coming to you that you think they're, if there was a neighbor down the road or, you know, other individuals interested that they could get business just as easily? Oh, absolutely. I'm always about uh, entrepreneurs and small businesses starting up, but I will say uh, it, it, the gold isn't going to come rolling in. There is a lot of hard work, and what I would suggest is to maybe start small and see how it works. I would hate for someone to have to go in and invest all this money in either uh, greenhouses and supplies. Uh, to me, you could be spending upwards of $50,000 to get going. And I think if you would just start small and do some trial and error, uh, take some flower arranging classes or do cut flowers, uh, do a subscription with a couple neighbors and friends before you do go really full, full throttle into this. Just... Uh, that's what I would recommend. I don't know, Tiffany, you may have different thoughts, but it is a lot of hard work and it's, uh, you've got to be out there in that hot sun and it's, it's not for everybody. I totally agree. Um, you know, starting small, grow what you love, you know, varieties, um, colors that you like, you know, taking the time to experiment before jumping in because yeah, I mean, farming is hard. Flower farming is no different than any other type of farming. You're out there in all different types of weather, hot sun, rain, you know, you kind of just have to roll with it. But yeah, I mean, we in the Driftless region have quite a few cut flower farms. Um, there's Sunborn who's down by um, Mount Horeb who's a super successful flower farm. She does a lot of um, weddings and events. Um, and then just locally, there's a couple other subscriptions. So it's always nice, you know, to kind of have that support system as well, you know, where it's like, okay, my crop of, you know, snapdragons didn't germinate well, you can always kind of reach out to someone, you know, or if you're having issues, or, you know, if you're short on product, um, there was a time last spring where um, my delphiniums just like did not do well. So there was a flower farmer and I just reached out to her and I got two buckets. So yeah, I think it's taking the time to make sure that it's really what you want to do um, before jumping it in because it is quite expensive. Okay. And I also think you both have to be very creative. Um, I've I've seen some of the work uh, being close, being in Vernon County with Tiffany and, and watching you um, on some other local spotlights and how you yourself make up every, every bouquet uh, of the cup, if that's what you call them, of the cup flower subscription that goes out. And, and even for Heidi, I mean, you have to have that creativity and knowledge to, and it's a passion for you, but to make those, those bouquets look amazing, you, I think you both. Well, I started flower arranging probably in the mid 
80s. So I have been doing this now for what, almost 40 years. And I will tell you, even in the last 10 years, I look at what I've done when I started my business 10 years ago, and they are nothing where they are today. So it's, you just, you keep learning. And I, and I like to put bows on things, especially for weddings. And I mean, I can make a bow in, you know, 10 seconds and people will say, oh my gosh, I'll say, yeah, but I've already, I've made 10,000 bows. So when you get to that 10,000 10, bow or have put a 10,000 arrangement together, I would, I would hope that you would have made some improvement from day one. But what I also do is I have uh, workshops where I bring uh, individuals out. I have a class and I uh, charge a fee and then they go to the fields, they cut what they want. And then I have, oh, probably 500 up to a thousand different containers on my shelves. They grab a container and they design their flowers. And it's really about educating and giving um, people the opportunity. And if you don't like something, pull it out and try something else. So that is one of the other things I do is bringing um, people I hold classes and letting them experiment with the flower arranging to give them practice and making them feel comfortable with doing it. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I actually have an art minor. So um, I never thought I'd be a farmer. <laughs> my dad and I kind of have this joke where I went to college and you know he would always say oh you just wait you're gonna move back here and marry a hog farmer which I didn't but I'm a farmer so it's really nice to be able to use that kind of creative edge that I have um and just experiment with it and yeah I mean looking back at some of the bouquets that I did right away uh, of course they're beautiful but just the techniques and I mean, trends change, you know, color combos, things like that. So I think it's always, you know, kind of important to be, um, you know, looking at other flower farmers, what are they doing? How are they using, you know, greens, um, you know, and foraging has been, you know, something that has been pretty popular as of late, you know, so using those thornless raspberry leaves and you know, other greenery that is just naturally growing in the area versus, you know, growing um, the bloopomerium or eucalyptus, um, which is gorgeous, but, you know, just kind of getting creative with it. So, yeah, it's kind of a fun I outlet. Do use a, I do use a lot of uh, what I call um, just greenery growing. Hosta leaves make wonderful foliage. Also the arbovitas, the cedar trees make wonderful foliage wow. uh, in an arrangement. And even with my arrangements, I, I encourage everyone to step out of the box. You don't have to have this fancy vase. Could even be a soup can that you took the label off of and you just might want to go out and cut some flowers and put them in your um, tin soup can. So it, it's just thinking outside of the box. Wow, uh, just all the creativity that goes along with it. But, you know, as we look at the creativity, are there any state regulations or federal, you know, things that you have to kind of be aware of and know as you're working through this business? Um, you know, we see so many regulations for other components in agriculture. Just curious if there's any that you see throughout um, cut flowers and that. 
for myself, I'm not organic, so I don't have any of those regulations. Uh, I do have to have a, a license through the state because I have a, a, a nursery, but outside of that through the DAT cap, but no other regulations for myself. Yeah, kind of the same. I have a nursery dealer's license, um, but that's more for like our garden center in the spring. I appreciate when we're talking and you're talking constantly about the different varieties and, and experimenting and, and Tiffany, you were kind of saying, well, we kind of need to be, you know, and I wanted to say on the cutting edge, just like this podcast series, we need to, you're on the cutting edge of what's changing, what's new and up and coming with the different flowers that people may want to see or use. And I think it's awesome that you both are able to experiment with different and new varieties. Uh, myself, you know, I, I love flowers, uh, but like petunias and marigolds are about as awesome as it gets for, for me. And so I really appreciate listening and hearing more about what you both do. Um, as we get closer to- Can I just jump in there, Ashley? Can yes. I just jump in? One thing, when you talk about like petunias, they have a real, like their stems are real like sticky. And while marigolds are very pretty out in the field, they kind of do have that little more coarser look to them. And they also are, they somewhat have a, what I would call a not pleasant aroma. They stink. <laughs> Exactly. And the other thing is like a stargazer uh, lily, which I, I grow some of those because that is considered a perennial. Well, some people have a strong, strong, they cannot take the aroma of a stargazer lilies. So I had a one bride who came, this was many years ago, and she wanted to have stargazer lilies for her wedding. And I said, before you do that, make sure you actually have a stargazer lily and you can stand that smell. Because one one person had, the actual friend that was with her said, I got a, a bouquet of those and I had to like throw them outside because I couldn't stand. So oh, just no. make sure that some of the flowers do have that smell that might not be pleasing to people. I would have never guessed some of those. And I think that leads to a great um, opportunity for us to kind of lead to that ending, ending remarks, you know, uh, do you have any advice, um, you know, for those looking to get into the business? or, you know, future things that you look to do that maybe others can think of too as they're, you know, looking at their business plan of potentially cut doing cut flowers. My advice is if you're interested, give it a try. Uh, plant some flowers, start small and go for it. I, there's always a market for fresh flowers, especially with all the COVID and the, the farming and the back to look by local, the fresh. So definitely, I would say, uh, give it a try. There's, it's, it's, if you enjoy flowers and it's your passion, I encourage anyone to. But also remember that there, it is a lot of hard work. But there is, with the hard work, you also have that, uh, the, the satisfaction of these beautiful flowers that you're growing. So I would close with that. And as far as my future endeavors, right now, I'm just uh, status quo. It's, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Thanks, Heidi. And how about you, Tiffany? Yeah, I agree 100% with Heidi. Um, you know, start small, take the time to experiment. There's a ton of resources um, 
out there on the web, books. Um, one that I've found super helpful is Florette Flower. She's um, out of Washington, but she'll do free like live mini workshops, you know, which kind of she does them on a range from like seed starting to transplanting to you know, how to cut and when to cut flowers. You know, I think one like misconception with flower farming is like, oh, it's always so beautiful, everything's blooming, but you're actually like, you should be cutting those flowers before they're blooming, you know, to provide the optimal stage for them, you know? So, you know, just do the research and have fun. It's great. And as far as future endeavors, you know, I'm gonna keep experimenting as well. Um, there were a couple things that we grew last year that I will definitely not be growing this year. Um, I'm gonna be doing some more U-cut days um, to kind of help you know, educate and get people into local flowers and to promote that. Um, a couple new varieties of things I'm gonna be experimenting this year with are um, tuber roses, which, um, have a scent. I find it lovely, but some might not. Um, so yeah, just enjoy it. Awesome. Well, we want to uh, thank Elena and I uh, would like to thank both of you for joining us today. If there's anything else you'd like to add in, I think we've covered a lot of the basis. And again, thanking Heidi from Willow Creek Farm and Gardens located just outside of Watoma and Washera County, and along with Tiffany Cade from Deep Rooted, uh, located in Westview, Wisconsin in Vernon County. Again, we'd like to thank everybody for joining Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of new crops for Wisconsin. Brought to you by the University of Wisconsin-Madison Division of Extension.